Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to our latest sermon, a sermon about a story in the life of Jesus. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to tell you about the services that we have coming up on Easter and the week leading up to it, which is traditionally called Holy Week. The first thing we have is Palm Sunday, which this year falls on March 25th. And our Palm Sunday service is one in which we really try to celebrate who Jesus is and why it was important that he entered into Jerusalem. And because our goal is to celebrate, that service is usually a really fun and lively service for us. And this year will be no different. We'll sing some upbeat songs. My sermon will be one in which I am lighthearted, but also really try to focus on who Jesus is and why that's important. The following Friday is Good Friday, the day that the church commemorates the death of Jesus and all that it means for us. Our Good Friday service is very different than our Palm Sunday service. It is a service where we do our best to reflect deeply on the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. Our Good Friday service is centered around the Stations of the Cross, which is a traditional and artistic way of remembering the passion of Christ. We will take time to think about certain things that Jesus suffered as he moved towards death, and then we will reflect and then sing songs that align with those incredible sufferings. We'll finish that service with communion. The next day, March 31st, is our annual Easter egg hunt. And in that event, we partner with the Villebois Events Committee. Villebois is the neighborhood that we have our church services in. And we're really proud and excited to be able to partner with them again as we run that Easter egg hunt. That event runs from 12.45 p.m. until about 1.30, and there are different starting times for different age groups. There will be thousands of eggs, great prizes. It's really a great event. If you have kids or grandkids, we hope that you'll come out and be a part of that. And then the following day is Sunday, the Sunday of Easter. And on that day, we'll have what I think will be an incredible service. We do our best to blend contemporary and traditional in our Easter service. We sing old and new songs. We'll also have video and readings. And so really it is kind of a mix of old and new. On that Sunday, I'll preach a sermon about how no matter how bad things are in our lives, the resurrection means that we can have a fresh start. We'll finish that service by decorating an old, super ugly cross with flowers as a reminder that Jesus' death was horrible and ugly, but his resurrection is the most beautiful thing that the world has ever known. After that service, we will have a brunch, and the brunch is catered by Wilsonville Catering Company. They do an incredible job, and we're going to have a great meal with eggs and bacon and lots of good stuff. So now I've told you about all that we have going on, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, our egg hunt, and Easter. I really do hope that you'll come and be a part of each of those things. You can get all of the details by going to wilsonville.church Easter. That's wilsonville.church Easter. And now I hope that this sermon helps you to learn 
and live more fully for the glory of God. So I, I told a couple of you this story uh, before we started church, if you were here setting up, and today reminded me of a day uh, several years ago when uh, our church was was in the dying days of church, but we were we were there to to get ready for church. We had church at nine a.m. Uh, back then, and uh, and we all got set up for church, and like the people who were there to get ready for church were were there bright and early, an hour before church started or whatever, and and we got all ready to go, and then the snow just starts falling like crazy, not like this morning snow. I mean, it's like dumping down snow, and so we ended up with this this very cool kind of service, like this service where nobody else was there except for those of us who had come early to set up because nobody else was going to drive in. I think we even like kind of canceled church, but just did it anyway, maybe. Uh, and it was this unique experience where we just did church with the volunteers who had set up, but also the snow was like pouring down outside or dumping down. I guess you don't pour when you're snow. Uh, I drove into a ditch after we left church that day and some random stranger drove my car out for me. He basically was like, oh, you just got to toughen up and do it. And he did it in my car. I was like, oh, okay. I don't drive very nice cars or else that wouldn't have been a real story. Um, anyway, and, and it was this really cool thing. And, and as I tell people, I can see, I can see this this morning with RJ's face and whoever else I told that story to. Like, like, ah, oh, cool, so you had church and there was snow, you know? Like, great story, man. Like, is there a punchline? And then in Matt's words, the other guy that preaches and who will preach next week, and then I found $20. Um, and so, which is not true, but this is what happens with secondhand stories sometimes. They lose their effect. And uh, and the the Christian story is a story and, and within it this story of Jesus we have these these stories it's like stories that are part of the big story of what Jesus did for humanity and they're they're amazing when you stop to think about them but sometimes it's like it feels like a secondhand story like well if I would have been there that would have been awesome you know if I just if I could have seen it that would have been really cool or this other thing happens to us if if we've grown up in the church then some of these stories we started hearing when we were 0 years old, you know? And so by the time you're you're 30 years old or 60 years old or 90 years old, it's like yeah, I've heard it before, you know? Like, I mean, if you've had a grandparent, the grandparents, I think, are notorious. They just keep telling the same story and it's like a really cool story and you're like, "Yeah, grandpa, I know how it ends, you know, you saved the day, like, and it loses its effect, and so I think for some people, it's like hard, if you're like me, to get into the story of Jesus and really be amazed by it, because it's this, it's this secondhand story, we weren't there, we didn't actually live it, and then I think for some of us, if you're like me, it's like, this is difficult, because it's difficult to be excited about, because I've, I've heard it a lot. You know, I know that story. I've studied it. I have seven years of higher education in biblical studies and things surrounding it. It's like, I, I, I know that story, you know. 
And then, and then this other, and let me just, this is the third reason. These are the first two reasons we're doing the series on, on the stories of Jesus, Jesus' stories. But the third reason is we live at this, in this weird time kind of in the history of America as it pertains to, to Christianity, I think. And we live in this, in this time when we have people living who are like me and, and grew up with these stories, but we have a whole generation of those people who just kind of grew up with them and, you know, they, they know them and they get it, but maybe they've lost some of their luster, the stories for these people. Uh, and then we have people who, who kind of had these stories when they were kids, but they left the church. And this is a common in, a, in another generation in our society right now. Like They've kind of left the church and, you know, those were the stories of my childhood, but I've kind of moved on and, you know, those things are not things I think about anymore. And then, and this is what's so different than any other period of history in America, you have a, a whole generation of younger people who, who haven't heard these stories at all. And you're like, if you're one of those people, you're like, I don't know those the stories of Jesus. I mean, you saw the words, if you couldn't hear the, the, the voice, but you saw the words like the temptation of Jesus. What is that? I mean, the baptism of Jesus, what is that? And so we live in this time where, where there's this mixture of the, the people who just were in church every day that it was open and these people who were in the church every day was open when they were little, but they've since said, I don't need that in my life. And then this generation of people who are like, I don't know Jesus. I don't really have an opinion on Jesus. And so I think that, that as we come to this series, I think it's really important because what I, what I see and what the video said that you weren't able to hear is We've, we've taken these stories about the life of Jesus that are incredible. They're incredible stories. And, and we've almost just ignored them. And, and we've almost just ignored Jesus. And, and when you read these stories, it's like you can't ignore him. You can, you can hate him. You can say that he was, he was crazy. You can say that, that he was a false teacher. You can say that he is the God of the universe who came down to save people. But one of the things that just isn't proper or right, given the stories that we'll look at in this series, is, is to ignore Jesus. Because here's the deal. We have these gospels. That's these four books that are in the Bible written by people who were really close to Jesus. I mean, they're his friends, they're his followers, they're guys that hung out with him, or they're guys that knew guys that hung out with him. And they're telling these incredible stories. And it's just weird for us to go, great, guy walked on water. <laughs> I mean, that's weird, right? Like, if a buddy came up to you and said, dude, I was out the other day and I was going wakeboarding, and I kid you not, I'm not making this up. My friend, he just started walking on top of the Willamette River. It was crazy. Be like, huh? No, you'd be like, what, you're crazy or you saw that wrong or like I have to investigate this or what's the guy's name or are you sure you didn't see that right? You have to at least respond to that, right? You're not like, oh, okay, you want another chip? You know, like that's not how that goes. And, and here's these stories written by these guys who hung out with Jesus. And now here in our, our modern American society, we're like, oh, oh, I've heard it. Or, oh, really? That's in there? Like, okay. And, and my hope in this series is that, that we'll just do anything but that. We'll look at these stories and, and out of them we'll go, whoa. 
And then you can decide what you're going to do after the woe. Like maybe you need to investigate them more. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you need to be more excited about Jesus. Maybe you need to rekindle your relationship with Jesus. I don't know what you need to do. But my goal is just you'd go, whoa. And then we'd go from there. And All of these sermons are going to come all the way through Easter, actually. We're going to be looking in the book of Mark. And and the very beginning of Mark, this book, Mark 1-1, where this guy named Mark starts to tell these stories about the life of Jesus. He writes, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, there's a variety of interesting information about the book of Mark that I think make this series more valuable given the things that I've already said. Uh, Mark, interestingly, in church history, is kind of the, uh, the, the least used gospel. It's the least read gospel. It's the one that we, we just kind of ignore. And, and I don't know if you're that way, but that's kind of how people are with the gospel of Mark. Uh, it's shorter. It's some 16 chapters. It is 16 chapters. It's shorter. It contains, and this is one of the reasons it's been unpopular, it contains some language that is confusing, and in the confusion, it becomes almost offensive to people, like Christian people. I'm not talking about like people outside the church, but it's like, wait, Jesus couldn't have really done that. Or like, nah, I don't really like that Like Mark said it that way about Jesus. Like, he should have said it this way and then I'd like it better like if you would have said it more like Matthew or John and, and so Mark is this very underused book but uh, it's really cool book and I'll get to that in a second um, because of the way in which it's written I actually really like it and uh, it's written by uh, probably by a guy named John Mark although we don't know the author for sure but one thing that most scholars seem to agree on is this Whoever wrote it, probably Mark, that's a pretty, pretty good idea, probably this guy named John Mark. Whoever wrote it was deeply influenced by Peter. And if you're not a church person, you may not know, but Peter was one of Jesus' three closest friends and followers while he walked the earth. He's the guy that's kind of like, the, besides Jesus, the other foundational piece of the history of church, like church, this thing that we do now is kind of built on this guy named Peter. Uh, he's one of the main leaders in the first church. He's one of the most respected leaders in the first church. And, and the gospel writers outside of Mark they don't really tell his side of the story. But Mark, he tells, he tells the side of the story that, that would have just been Peter's side of the story. It's quite clear. And, and I think that the way we can picture this and the way that we think the Bible is written is, is that there's this guy named John Mark, and we don't know why John Mark's the one pinning the letter, but the Holy Spirit is moving in him because that's how we got the Bible. But Peter's sitting right there as the Holy Spirit's moving, and so this letter becomes this combination of Of God's work saying, you write this, but you write through the stories of Peter who hung out with my son Jesus while he walked around on earth. And so we get these really cool stories that are intimate and connected to the life of Jesus because they're coming through Peter. And what's interesting about that, I think, is that that Peter is is kind of a regular guy, uneducated it seems. Uh, The book of 1 Peter... It is penned by somebody else, even though it was 
written by Peter, but somebody else wrote it down for him. And, and you can see, uh, in, this is one of the best things that taking two years of Greek did for me. didn't help me learn Greek, but at least I know what I'm about to say. Uh, and, and the book of First Peter, as, as Peter had help pinning it and writing it down, is like really well written as far as Greek goes and clear. And then Second Peter, Peter writes down on his own, and it's like atrocious. It's like a third grader wrote it, and you know, and if we were talking about English, it's like, wait, what are you doing here? And you see this really interesting dichotomy, and so it makes sense that that Peter would sit there, and, and you got these 16 chapters, and he's telling his stories to Mark, and the Holy Spirit's moving through Mark, and Mark's writing them down in a very simple way, but what makes that so cool, the book of Mark, and I love this, is that Peter is this fisherman guy, is telling these stories in the way that we would tell the stories. Not like, hey, I need to get this theological point in there and I need to make sure that I cover these bases and go through those things and like all this stuff, you know, that, that kind of we think of when we think of the Bible. It's like Peter is just with, through Mark and the Holy Spirit just like, man, this one time we were sitting on this boat and this crazy thing happened. Let me tell you about it. And then we move right to the next story. And that's the other part of Mark that's really cool. It moves super quickly from one thing to another it's very action oriented the teachings of Jesus are are, are kind of pushed to the back because honestly when you're telling a great story you don't tell great stories about my sermon do you you're not like oh and then he said this you never do that you never leave Sunday but if something crazy happened on a Sunday like hey Drew fell down while he was doing the soundboard in the back I don't know why I'm picking on Drew now then you'd be like yeah this, this guy fell down in the back of church today we are driven by action in our stories and that's how the book of Mark is written. In fact, he uses this connecting thing between paragraphs that uh, that's, he just uses immediately, all the time. He's like, and immediately after that, immediately after that, immediately after that. We know chronologically these aren't things aren't immediately after uh, the, the thing that he just talked about. It's like he's saying, we got to go. I got stories, and I want to tell you the stories because they're about Jesus, and they're awesome. And so like, hey, here's one story, and here's the next story, and here's the next story, and here's the next story. And we're going to spit them all out as quickly as possible. And part of the reason for this is that Mark is, is the earliest, most people believe, written of the gospel books. He writes first, and, and this is just a total side note that's so cool, and, and new information hasn't come out in a couple of years about it, but it seems very reputable. In 2012, uh, some archaeologists were doing a dig, and they found uh, this mummy and uh, apparently, and I didn't know this until I read this article, apparently this, in Egyptian circles, like the mummies we picture that are wrapped in toilet paper, I know it's not toilet paper, but whatever that stuff is, like those are the more wealthy mummies. But what people would do to, to mummify the, the less wealthy in society is they'd find any like parchments or papery things that they could find and they just Start plastering them on there, right? Like I picture those, you know, did you ever make anything? What's that stuff called? Say it. Paper mache right there. Thank you. Randall with the wind. Paper mache. Like that's like the idea. And so they're doing this archaeological dig in 2012. And all of a sudden they find part of the book of Mark. 
And, and what's so interesting about that is the earliest manuscripts, that means original language documents that we have of the New Testament, any part of the New Testament, is from in the 100 ADs. But this, they believe, is, is anywhere from like 70 to 90 AD. It would be the earliest biblical document that we have in the original languages, which is super important because that would suggest not only that Mark was written before 70 to 90 AD, but that the, the document that we now call Mark had actually been penned enough times to travel to Egypt by that year. And let me what t- tell you what people do to try to tear at the Bible. They'll be like, that was written way later than you Christians think it was written. That's how people try to get at these stories because we know, we know this, like the further you get away from a story, the less true a story probably is. And so what Critics of Christianity want to do is say like, oh, Mark, yeah, that was probably written in like 200 AD and he probably, you know, they thought the guy walked on water, but like really it was really shallow, you know, and he just walked on the shallow part and it looked cool or whatever, little video editing, you know, I mean, that's what they want to do. And so for us to all of a sudden, this is reputable sources, I mean, it seems like Noah's Ark is found all the time and those people are usually making it up like every other week. It's like, oh, they found Noah's Ark and then... (laughs) I thought we found Noah's Ark. You know, you think about it five years later. But this is, these are reputable people saying, I've seen this document. It's real. This is a big deal. So Mark's written really early, and it's as if, like, all the, the baggage, if you will, if you feel that, like, in, in how you read the Bible, I think some of us do, like, all oh, the details, and I gotta, it's like Mark, as he writes the stories of Peter's life, he doesn't have it yet. He's just telling you about the life of Jesus. Right at the beginning, and I love this, he just jumps right in. You got Luke, you know the story of Luke, where we have this giant Christmas story to begin. You got the Gospel of John, who begins with all this poetic stuff about the Word is God and the Word is with God and all of that, and you're like, huh? You got to wait to figure out what that is. You got Matthew, who goes through like a a genealogy and then like four moves of Jesus by the time he's a two-year-old all to say like look at the Old Testament and the Old Testament proves that this Jesus guy was going to be from Nazareth and Bethlehem and Jerusalem how can a guy be from three or four places well here's how let me tell you but Mark's like just hey this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah the Son of God let's get to it isn't that, I, I like that better. I don't know if you're like me, but like, it just gets right down to it. And then it's like, here's the stories, let's go. Um, and, and this is what the book's about. Because he makes this statement right at the beginning, and it's a big time statement. He says, this is the good news, and we say, well, what's good news? That's the same word that translates gospel, which we know becomes this very theological term to describe the story of Jesus. The story that says Jesus is the Savior of the world who died for our sins and rose again. He was resurrected from the dead, all so that we could have eternal life. And at the very beginning, he says, here it is, here's the story about this guy named Jesus, who, by the way, is the Messiah. Now, this is a Jewish term. The the people that were Jewish, especially at the time of Jesus, they longed for somebody who would come and set things right for their country. They They were living under Roman rule and oppression, and they looked forward to somebody who would make things right. What they didn't understand is that the Messiah would not be a political ruler or a military ruler, but instead he would be a spiritual ruler. Jesus himself saying, my kingdom is not, is not of this world. 
But Jesus is the one who has come to set things right. We know that means to remove sin from our lives, to bring forgiveness for the things that we have done wrong. And not only that, Mark tells us, but he's the son of God. These are huge claims. Huge claims in a single verse. And our response might be, if you're anything like me, prove it. And I feel like that's why this book is written. Like, hey, this is the good news. This is the best news. This is the life-changing news about the Savior of the world who is the Son of God. And we're going to prove it to you as we write down these stories about his life. And in verse 2 and 3, he has this quick setup from the Old Testament. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. So this guy named Isaiah had said, somebody will come before the Messiah and he will prepare the way. He'll make the roads clear. He'll set things up for the Messiah to come. There's your big setup. A whopping three short verses. Mark sets it up and he launches into the first story and here's the story in mark 1 4 through 6 and so john the baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins the whole judean countryside and all the people of jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins they were baptized by him in the jordan river john wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey now, it's interesting, he just jumps right into this, and, and it's, a, it's a cool story, and I'll just make a, a couple of points about the details, because I don't think Mark cares that much, and so I don't want to go as deeply into the details. Uh, but first, there's this interesting idea that he's, he's preaching a baptism of repentance, and that stuck out to me because, frankly, because on Ash Wednesday, we, we had a call for repentance, and we had a call for confession, and, and here comes John the Baptist before Jesus going out into the wilderness and saying, here's what you need to do, you need to repent. Repentance, as I said on Wednesday, for those of you who are there, I'm sorry for the repeat, but what I said on Wednesday, it's a changing of mind that leads to a changed life. And John the Baptist shows up, knows that the Messiah is about to come, and says, you people need to change your minds in a way that changes your life in order that we can be ready, we can be ready for the coming of Jesus. Now, this is exactly what we're doing in the Lenten season. I mean, it's it's the same idea. We've we hopefully those of us that are celebrating Lent are have confessed and we've repented and we have given some things up and added some things into our lives, all because we want to be prepared for Easter, the time in which we celebrate the return of Jesus from uh, the dead. Now, this baptism is is really interesting because. Uh, baptism here symbolizes the removal of sin, but it's an interesting thing because there was baptism for people. And, and baptism was when somebody would become part of the Jewish faith. They would get baptized, and they would baptize themselves. They'd go under the water and say, look, I'm, I'm entering into the Jewish faith, similar to what we do with Christianity. But what was so different here is two things. First, that somebody was baptizing other people. That wasn't a part of of the Jewish culture, the Jewish faith. And also, interestingly, is that these are Jewish people who are getting baptized. And so we have 
the beginnings of this thing that we call baptism, which is an outward sign of an inward conversion. And these people saying, I, I will get in that water. I will get dunked in that water because, because I'm repenting of my sin. I'm, I'm looking at my sin the way that God looks at it because I want to be ready for the coming of Jesus. Now, here's Mark being very Markish. Because if you were to go to Matthew, Luke, and John, the other gospel writers, they give us a lot more information about this guy named John the Baptist, or more accurately, John the Baptizer. They give us a lot more information about him. I mean, like, you can read his birth story in Luke 1, and, and, and like, it's all about how he was born and how he got his name and it's like all this information but mark comes along and he just he doesn't seem to care at all as he's writing inspired by the holy spirit about the details of this guy aside from what he's doing in this incredible story that's being told and that is this idea that people went out to him in the wilderness to hear him preach despite the fact that he wore super weird clothes and he was eating locusts and wild honey now that's a good story, right? I mean, that's a story we tell people like, hey, honey, I was out today hiking in the woods. We've got a lot of hikers in this church. I was out hiking, and there was a guy out there, and he was dressed in weird clothing. looked like it was made of some kind of cat hair or something. I'm not really sure what was going on. <laughs> like, it was crazy, and he had a leather belt on, and the dude was eating locusts and honey. It was kind of gross. At least he had the honey to help the locusts go down, you know? Like, it was weird. But there were thousands of people out there listening to him, and all of them seemed to be converted into following God. I'm going to tell that story. I'm probably going to tell it a hundred times, you know? Like, hey, dude, like, you know, like, hey, I was, I was out. You know this if you've been at this church for any amount of time. I met Robin Williams once, and it's not something you have to know me very long before I tell you because it was cool. Like, hey, hi, I'm Chad. I met Robin Williams once, you know? It was, it's a good story. I'll save you now, but I met Robin Williams once, if you were wondering. And this is that type of story. Like, hey, there was this guy named John the Baptizer. He was dressed super weird eating insects and people were going out into the wilderness to hear him preach and not only were they going out there to hear him preach but then they were being converted or making decisions to follow God because he was preaching that's so crazy think that'd be our response right like that's crazy that's crazy and then this would be our other response i think if you're i mean maybe this is because i preached that i would respond this way but i'd be like whoa i'd be like whoa that's a whoa moment and then i'd be like what was he preaching right because like how are people like responding to this weird guy that's out in the middle of the wilderness hanging out in forest park you know like what is happening like what's he saying that's drawing these people in and and that's exactly what Mark writes down for us, and this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's so interesting, right? And, it, and, and just, that's a woe moment, because it's like, 
if, if you're really paying attention, and if it's not like I've heard it a million times or it's in the Bible, so I'm not going to pay attention. If you're really paying attention, then you're just left like, who is the guy that comes after him, right? I mean, how crazy must his life story be and how awesome must his life story be if this weird dude out eating insects because that's pretty interesting right like that's pretty interesting like he's just what's his message well his message is that somebody cooler's coming whoa well tell me about that guy I didn't stay to hear the message you know he was eating locusts so I was out no I mean like who's tell me about that guy tell me about that guy and and John says it in this way that we built the whole sermon series around a few years ago. He says, somebody's coming, and I'm not even, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals for him. And, and, and in the first century, for, for these people, for Jewish people, for people that lived at the time, like touching somebody's feet was like the lowest thing you could do. You didn't even really want your servants to do that for you because if you think about walking around all day in a hot, deserty culture and, and you think about not showering very often and what your feet are going to look like, like it's pretty disgusting. And uh, in fact, uh, one time I used to take our youth group here at this church up to this thing called Night Strike, which is this homeless outreach in Portland. And part of what they do is wash homeless people's feet. And I did it once. And, and it was a really uh, humbling uh, experience for me um, because it's like, it's like this is, this is kind of gross. This is kind of gross. And these people are walking around all day and, and they don't have good socks and their shoes are, are worn out and... and like, it's, it's kind of gross, but also, like, they're impacted. They were impacted, which was cool, even though I had no reason to be impacted because I'm thinking, I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe I'm doing this. And, and what John says about the one who's going to come after him in ways that we can't even fully understand because we don't live in the first century where this was such a low thing to do. It's like, I'm not even worthy to do that for him. There's a lot of people at this church that have leather straps on their keychains. You may have noticed that. You probably haven't, but maybe you have. And, and that's because when we did this series before, we gave away le- leather straps. And we said, look, like, you need to understand this about Jesus. And if you start to think about Jesus in these terms, it will change your life. Like, we're not even worthy to untie his sandals, to untie his shoes. But yet, yet, he loved us and died for us despite that. And here's John, this amazing character whose birth story is recorded in the Bible because it's so incredible, who's one of the most influential people ever to live, who according to Jesus himself is one of the greatest people ever to live. And his message was simple. I'm nothing compared to the one who comes after me. That's a cool story. But that's not even the story I want to look at this morning because he gives two more verses here at this opening in this opening section that just kicks it off with like a, a bigger woe. Like, well, why would John think this? You know, and did John have any proof that this guy after him was gonna be so much cooler than him? And and then we get this other story in Mark 1, 9 through 11. At that time, or immediately, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. 
Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. James A. Brooks, who wrote the New American Commentary, said the most striking aspects of Mark's account of the baptism are its brevity and lack of apology. What makes this story in Mark really fascinating is that, that he just leaves out so much that we get from the other gospel writers. But this is a story in scripture that, that even after Jesus had died and risen again, uh, the, the early Christians, they didn't really like the story and they felt the need to explain the story because we've already seen John is out in the wilderness, and why is he baptizing people? He's baptizing people for the repentance of sins. And we as Christians believe, it's fundamental to the Christian faith, that Jesus was sinless. The reason he could die for our sins is because he never sinned. Because he never sinned. He didn't do anything that was disobedient to God the Father. And so even into early Christianity, people are like, let's explain this, let's explain this, let's explain this. And the other gospel writers... They're like, let's explain this. And in fact, in the book of Matthew, in Matthew 3, 13 through 15, telling the same story, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. So like here's Matthew going, hey, I'm going to tell you a story and it's going to look a little weird and it's going to kind of push back against some of the fundamental tendencies of our, our faith. But let me explain to you why it happened. And it's pretty clear why it happened. I mean, Jesus is just saying this is what God wants. And in fact, if you were to look at the story of John's life, John was sent by God to baptize people. And so Jesus says, look, this is, this is just what God wants. This isn't about my you know, forgiveness or my repentance or anything like that. It's what God wants, and I'm always going to do what God wants. So baptize me. And John's like, I guess so. We'll do it. But Mark isn't concerned with any of that. Like, I'm going to tell you an incredible story. This is good news about the Savior who is the Son of God. Let me prove it to you. And so here's how he tells the story. This guy named Jesus leaves his hometown in Nazareth, walks out into the wilderness, goes into the Jordan River to be baptized by a guy wearing camel hair, eating locusts, preacher named John who happened to be his cousin but it seems he hasn't seen him in a long time by the way if you're interested just to set the scene for you the Jordan River is not huge I, if just for me growing up and you hear about the Jordan River it's like the Jesus River you know and like uh, uh, we have some of the Jordan River water that sits in our house actually and we put it in when people get baptized and passed in our church uh, I picture like this big giant river like you know just because it's the Bible River or whatever but it's it's actually a really small river it's about a hundred miles long if you're flying a couple hundred miles long if you count all the weaving um, have some more details here just to set the scene uh, it in flood stage it can be a hundred feet wide or ten feet deep it's actually very similar, and I think we might, you can't see this picture very well because of how we do the screen here, but uh, there's a creek right over here outside of Villebois that you might have driven by on the way here today, and, and it, 
it's actually strikingly similar. It's the reason we used it in the video that we made for this series, because it's like, wow, that kind of looks like the Jordan River. And it's unassuming. You drive over it, you hardly notice it, but it kind of looks like the Jordan River. And so just what Mark wants us to know is Jesus leaves his hometown and he goes out into the countryside to be baptized. He doesn't care about why, but what he cares about is what happens at that baptism. As Jesus goes down, we know this from uh, Luke 3, 21, he's praying to God. And then as he comes out, he sees heaven being torn apart and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice coming from heaven saying, you are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Whoa, that's crazy. That's crazy. The language is even just very striking, like torn, right? Like, what does that mean? It's the same word, so fascinating, that Mark will use at the very end of his gospel. When Jesus dies, he tells us that there's this curtain in the temple, and it separated people from the presence of God. And at the only other time in the book of Mark, Mark says that temple right upon Jesus' death, when he died for the sins of humanity, was torn open, giving us access to God. And if you go back in the history of of God and you look for 400 years before this moment, God had been silent to the masses. Granted, he had talked to some individuals like he came out, he showed up in front of the shepherds right before Jesus was born, things like that. But as far as to the masses, God, God had been silent. And Jesus goes down and Jesus comes up and it's torn open. It's like all of a sudden God has shown up on the scene again after centuries and centuries of being quiet. Why? Because this is good news about the Savior who is the Son of God. But not only that, we see way back in Isaiah 64.1, this prayer of Isaiah's heart, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, or that you would tear open the heavens and come down. This was the prayer of the prophet Isaiah. We want you to come down. And at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, God does. Whoa! It says the Holy Spirit descended on a dove, and a lot of your Bibles probably have a picture of a dove because we think this means like there was a dove floating around, and it probably doesn't mean that. You don't have to throw your Bible away or anything, but, uh, but it, it probably means that the Holy Spirit descended gently down upon him and that it was visible, at least to Jesus and John. We don't know if the crowds saw this because John, in this, in, in, in this other place in Scripture, John's like, I didn't recognize him at first. Like, I'm out here doing all this because the Messiah is coming, the Savior is coming, and I didn't recognize him at first, and then... I saw the Holy Spirit descend upon him, and it stayed there. I mean, think about that. The Holy Spirit comes down in some type of visible way, and it lands on Jesus. Whoa, tell me more about this guy. And what we see as you go through the story of Jesus is that the Holy Spirit stays upon him, and it's the reason he can do so many incredible things that we'll read about and hear about in this sermon series. In fact, in the book of Luke, or Isaiah again, sorry, 61, 
1, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And right after this story in the book of Luke, when, when John baptizes Jesus, Jesus goes to a synagogue, a place of worship for the Jews. And he opens up the scroll and he reads that verse. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. You think, well, that's innocent enough. He's just reading from the Old Testament. And the people take him outside and they grab stones and they try to kill him because they know that he's claiming to be the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Whoa. And then there's this voice from heaven that comes. And we don't know if everybody hears the voice or not, but it's not important because this voice comes. And says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And it's the beginning of Jesus' ministry here on earth. God the Father says, look, I've pronounced my blessing upon you to do the work that you're about to do. It's incredible. God gives a seal of approval to his son, Jesus. And we ought to go, wow. And it's part of the reason that as Jesus moves through his life and these other stories take place, it's part of the reason that we look at those stories and go, these are legit because God said they're legit. So what Mark and I, I think, want you to hear this morning is that there's this moment in history where this guy named John was dressed in camel's hair, eating insects, dipped in honey or whatever, preaching. Masses are coming to him. Thousands of people are going out into the wilderness to hear him preach and then making decisions to live more fully for God because of him. He declares, there's somebody coming and I'm not even close. I'm not even close to being worthy of, of baptizing this guy or hanging out with this guy or being friends with this guy. I'm not even worthy of tying his sandals or untying his sandals because he's so much greater than me because he will baptize people with the Holy Spirit. I just do it with water. And then that guy that he's talking about shows up on the scene and as he gets dunked in the water and comes back out, the heavens are ripped open and the Holy Spirit descends upon him in bodily form and God declares from heaven, this is my son. And it all points to this life that we're gonna study in this series being incredible and it all points to the truth that Jesus was no regular man. Jesus was the one whom the best news the world has ever known was told about. Because Jesus is the Savior of the world and the Son of God. And I hope that you don't read his stories and go, eh, I've heard it before. But you read the stories of his life and go, wow, I need to explore this. Or, wow, I need to be excited about this. Or, wow, Jesus, I'm sorry I haven't been worshiping you the way that you deserve. And I'm going to pray that that will happen. Lord, as we do this series, God, I just... I just want for, for people who aren't your followers, who maybe have never heard these stories, I want them, God, to see how incredible you are. That's what, I, that's what I'm trying to get across, and I pray that I would get it across, and you would, through your word, show people how incredible you are. Lord Jesus, like, I've given my entire life to you, in large part because of what's at the end of the Gospel of Mark. But part of the reason that it's exciting to be your followers is, is what transpires between Mark 1, 1 and the end, Mark 16, 8, God. And so I pray that I would, I would 
I would tell those stories in a, in a way that's honoring to them and to you. And I pray they'd be received in that way. And, and God, for those of us that have been Christians, are Christians, are your followers, I just pray that as, as we are in this Lenten season leading up to Easter, that like we would be just so pumped about the life that you lived, God. And, and, I, and I trust that as a church, you know, I know we'll have a, a great Good Friday service and, and I believe we'll glorify you in that service and, and commemorate your awful death. And, and God, I, I trust that we're gonna have an incredible Easter service here where, where we remember, God, how awesome it is that you got out of the grave and, and all that that means for our lives, how that, God, starts a new day for us. But Lord, the things that you did while you walked on this earth were also incredible. And I pray over the next 35-ish days, God, that we would celebrate those things too. And we'd be impacted by them. Lord Jesus, I pray these things in your incredible name. Amen.